How's it going, everyone? Hope everyone's doing well. Starting to enjoy summer coming. Hopefully, COVID in your area is coming down. Starting to get back into the groove of things. Got some vacations and fun stuff planned ahead. Uh, today is going to be our discussion-based podcast. And what I want our discussion today to be, which was a requested topic, was the concept of goal setting. And I think we kind of get beat this in the head a little bit, but I want to put on some different perspective and lights on uh, different types of goals, not necessarily how to write a goal, but what are realistic expectations or goals for yourself and your training or for your clients. Um, Before we get into that, I just released a podcast with Dr. Roth, who's an orthopedic, uh, uh, sorry, a pediatric orthopedist, meaning he does and handles a lot of the youth athletes or the youth. And really, we kind of discuss what are scenarios where you would be a proponent of surgery, what are scenarios where maybe you would try to hold off on surgery, because it is a difficult population, obviously with high loads, little rest, and a lot of overuse injuries. So ideally, surgery is not the case, but uh, Dr. Roth and I really sit down and break that down. A really interesting podcast. And we have another fun one coming up where we do like a roundtable discussion. And so I am the NSCA Oregon State Director, meaning the National Strength and Conditioning Association. And I help kind of run the Oregon chapter. Uh, we do have hopefully an in-person live event be happening this fall, still working out the details. But what I did is I kind of recruited my board members, and there's uh, four or five of us uh, from all aspects of the strength and performance world, and we sit down and just answer questions that we got from uh, members of the Oregon board as well as just kind of the Northwest region. So kind of a cool roundtable discussion with some smart guys, so hopefully uh, stay tuned for that and you enjoy that. But let's get into the topic at hand today, so goal setting. So right, when you hear goal setting, you kind of like roll your eyes and you think, okay, I need to make my smart goal that's objective and time-based and so forth. And that's not necessarily what I want to talk about, even though it is obviously an important thing, particularly for medical documentation, but also to hold yourself accountable. What I want to talk about are what are some maybe objective measures and in some instances, time-based expectations for different goals and we have in regards to health and wellness, right? So, you know, the goal that you're gonna have for maybe improving breathing efficiency is gonna be different than the goal that you have to improve your uh, squat force capacity or your vertical jump or your glute med strength or so forth. It takes, you know, roughly six to eight weeks to see true force output changes in regards to strength within usually about a two to four week window you will see neurological changes in regards to strength so you'll see improved initiation uh, improved muscle recruitment meaning they'll be able to produce force quicker which will look like they're getting stronger but to truly get true hypertrophy muscle strength where you can move heavy load on a repeated basis it takes time to be able to do that And the rough guess there is about a six to eight week window, and that's just to notice changes. There's room for improvement launch longer than that. Uh, Again, neurological changes where you'll see different changes in recruitment patterns, usually more of like a two to four week window. Um, But when it comes to mobility, ideally you can see that pretty instantaneous. So if you're a provider of some sort, that's your go-to on your first session or two is figure out where their motion is lost and restore it right away. That will help you get buy-in with your clients 
but also help you dictate that you are going down the correct path and to follow through with it. The reason why mobility changes usually happen pretty quick is because they're not often from true articular dysfunctions, meaning that there's something stuck in the joint and that's why it doesn't move. Usually mobility issues stem from weakness, a joint that is overloaded, can't handle what it's being asked to do, is a joint that's weak and usually it becomes guarded. So the range of motion loss is more neurological or soft tissue based, where again, if you can retrain the movement pattern, get the brain and the system to figure out what you're asking to move more efficiently, you can get instantaneous changes and obviously changes pretty well within the first one to two weeks. So when I'm sitting down with my clients and we're doing an evaluation, you know, my first spiel that I say is, okay, here's, here's what's going on. Here are your like three pillars of dysfunction, your mechanical, uh, what like strength or neuromuscular control is lost and how that's influencing your function. I then try to help them set expectations. So usually what I'll say is if I don't see changes in some significant fashion within the first two weeks, then we're not doing something right. Now, if we have a post-op case, or there's obviously exceptions to that, but if you're having back pain, if you're recovering from an ankle sprain, if you have shoulder impingement, you should have changes within two weeks. If you're seeing somebody, they've been seeing them for longer than that, and you don't have changes, something's not going right, and you're spinning the wheel. And so I try to lay that expectation from them. We should have changes within two weeks, or maybe you can run further before pain starts. When you have pain, is less severe, less frequent. And then I say I want you, again, depending on this case, more in that six to eight week window to be closer to that 100% mark. Um, and sometimes people don't want to hear that because they want results quickly. Um, and I think that's often why people bias towards surgical intervention. One, it's a little bit more cut and dry. You get what's going to happen. But two is people think it's a quick fix. I have surgery. This is fixed for the rest of my life and I move on. But rarely that is the case. Anytime you have surgery, you're worse off than you were before the surgery. But ideally, the reason why you're doing surgery <clears throat> is because your status rate before surgery was so poor, you weren't even at your pre-injury level. So there is a role for surgery. But again, it's usually not the end all, end all be all. So let's maybe break this down into a couple uh, segments or specific topics. So if we think about maybe a pillar of breathing, posture, uh, inhibition, right? So if you stand like crud, you breathe horribly, you're inevitably going to have muscles that are not firing like they should be, and you've got this poorly functioning state. How quickly can you expect to see changes in regards to breathing efficiency, either your O2 sat, uh, maybe if you're using balloons to resist breathing, they can breathe better against resistance. Uh, maybe their breath count you can extend. Uh, there's some, a lot of good ways to, to track that. But breathing in regards to posture, you should see changes again fairly quickly. So if you address what's stiff, wake up what's asleep, and teach them how to sit, stand, push, pull, carry, lunge, so forth, Again, that's like within that two-week window that I want to see changes, so pretty darn quickly. Um, let's think about maybe another example. Um, what about something like a segmental dysfunction? Uh, let's say you have an L4, L5 disc issue. You don't have a full-blown prolapse where you're like having bowel and bladder issues, but you've got significant sciatica, pain down the leg. You've got a hot disc. What are your expectations or how do you set goals there? 
So usually that's a little multivariable, right? So if I have a nerve thing and then I have a local tissue thing, they're going to have two different healing cascades. So what I usually say there when you have a nerve thing is I first want to see your pain centralized. So if you have pain down your leg, I need that pain to go up into your butt and eventually into your back. I then want to see relatively quickly changes in movement. If you're restricted in a toe touch, restricted in a rotation, uh, maybe you're restricted in a hip hinge, I want to see pretty quick changes with that within two weeks. So I want to see the intensity and the frequency of the nerves to change within two weeks, and I want movement patterns better within two weeks. Now, if you have a true injury to your disc, research has shown that it takes at least a year for it to recover, and pretty much all discs do recover, right? So again, you wouldn't rush in to have surgery unless you've got a true nerve entrapment that you need to reduce pressure on. Um, but for them, maybe to get into a higher level activity after an acute disc issue, such as a swing, a clean, a box jump, a return to sport, that's probably going to be more in that six to eight week time frame. That's going to allow that disc to at least have the ability to reduce an inflammation, restore what's shut off or weak, get some proper stability around kind of the hips and thoracic spine, and start to reintegrate movement patterns. So a hot disc, two weeks, significant reduction in pain, six to eight weeks, return to play. Now, when I say return to activities, and I put a time frame on it, those are guesses, right? meaning I don't hold myself or the client accountable to that date. I try to work off of what's called a criterion-based progression where you could be at 22 weeks out from surgery. If you can't get close to touching the ground like a standing toe touch, I'm not going to tell you to pick up a heavy weight off the ground. You should have some basic criteria to progress to so you're not guessing. You're being objective with your assessments and return to play criteria. Let's maybe talk about <clears throat> goal setting in regards to like a movement screen, right? So I'm not, I do use the FMS. I usually do it more in the mass screening process. Like I have 15 athletes I need to screen. I'm not breaking it down into significant detail in regards to like an individual one-on-one performance evaluation. Um, but I will use that. I will use squats. I will use rotations. I will use like a trunk stability push-up. I will use a single leg squat. But if we're doing maybe more of like a functional grading, how long or what are realistic goals to improve that, right? So I think it all, again, depends on how you're assessing. So by that, I mean, if you're just looking at one or two single leg squats to like a set depth, maybe a 60 degree knee flexion angle, um, you should see changes pretty quickly, right? So if you get something moving that is stiff, all the same stuff, get something that's inhibited and weak and firing, you should be able to see a single leg squat change pretty quickly within that two week window. Now, if you're looking at a single leg bound, if you're looking at um, any other jump cut measure, that's gonna take more time because that's when you gotta build strength. So I think if you kind of have those two visuals, as good visuals for you, is almost like a reduce pain, improve mobility, improve neuromuscular control, two to three weeks. To improve functional changes where you can do something with high loads or do something for long periods of time, that's that six to eight week time frame. If you're working off a really poor base where they can't, simply do a decent body weight squat and they're trying to get to maybe a higher level activity like a snatch 
then you got to break it down into like phases where first can you do a bodyweight squat then can we do a front squat then can we do a back squat then can we do an overhead squat then can we get into a snatch and each one of those phases might be a two to four week window so there's just some general good criteria to think about progressing so we should know our tissue healing if we have an acute tissue issue how long does it take to recover we should know which again depending on the tissue can be something in that six to eight week mark for like a muscle strain or a ligament strain or again for that disc or acl graft it might be one to two years so again know your evidence so your goal setting should be based on tissue healing it should be based on neuromuscular changes again somewhere in that two to four week range you should see changes in neuromuscular recruitment and then you've got to think about goal setting in regards to function so where are they currently functioning how long is it going to take to get back to that? And then what are their future functional goals? So again, if they have a low base in function to begin and they have a high functional goal, you obviously got to break that down over a longer period of time. So now we have some just good ways to think about breaking out different goals, some general time frames. Again, don't work off a of time, just use it as setting a basic framework. What are we doing to try to objectify things, right? So if you're assessing joint mobility and things like that, you can objectify like a goniometer measurement or N-feel. But how do we go about objectifying strength? So I do that a couple ways. So I do that via function. So can you do, excuse me, 20 single leg squats to a 60 degree knee flexion angle just to have like a set standard? Maybe I'm looking at... um, strength and the capacity of like isolated strength so more table-based strength assessments your traditional manual muscle testing glute med versus hamstring versus glute max versus hip flexion and there what i'll use is a handheld dynamometer which has its limitations it's not going to pick up initiation it's not going to pick up endurance but it does give you a force production and so i will assess that side to side so if you have glute med on one side is 10 pounds the other side is 25 pounds that's significant I also set that based on your body weight. So glute med should roughly be about 20% of your body weight. Glute max should be about 40 to 50% of your body weight. Hamstring is usually about 25 to 30% of your body weight. Those are just general evidence-based studies that show that if these people met these matrix, they have a reduced injury risk. So it's not the end-all be-all, but again, gives you some criteria to work off of. But I think when we're assessing strength, we should assess it on the table to see isolation. We should assess it functionally, such as maybe like a single leg squat, single leg deadlift, and then you gotta take it into like the real world. So if they're a ball court athlete, maybe you're gonna look at a box jump height, maybe you're gonna look at a deceleration, maybe you're gonna look at a lateral bound. If it is more of a powerlifting athlete, CrossFit athlete, maybe your best metric is their deadlift one rep max, or three rep max, or their back squat three rep max. If you're more for the endurance athlete of looking at running, right? So sometimes the best objective measure is the act itself. So can they run two miles pain-free at a conservative pace? Can they run five miles pain-free with hills at a moderately 80% pace? So you've got your isolation. You've got your kind of like functional things in regards to maybe the PT side of things. And then you have your more sport-specific function. And so we should use these objective measures in your evaluations and in your goal setting. So we talked through some examples of maybe how to set goals for different injuries. 
We talked about maybe different pillars of goal setting. We talked about some objective measures for goal setting. I think, again, just to summarize it, you should be using the goal setting process for both your evaluation, your plan of care development, your client buy-in, but also for you as the provider or trainer to ensure that what you're doing is working, right? You don't want to be training somebody for 12 weeks and not reassess where they're at on things and have any idea of what they're doing is getting better or worse. You want to try to take the guesswork out of it. And there is a slew of different cool, fun, techie ways of assessing movement and uh, function. And I think there's some really valid options, but really keep it simple. You really don't need all these bells and whistles. Find your battery of tests, utilize them, tweak them, improve them, cater to the individual because each individual has different goals and expectations. So anyway, hope that was helpful. Hopefully it can help you develop maybe a goal that you're working on or help you in your communication with your clients. All right, guys, really appreciate the time. And again, uh, pay attention to the upcoming NSCA Oregon Roundtable podcast, which will be posted as well. And please reach out, DM, email, uh, DM on Capacity PT's Instagram, email at nickh at capacitypt.com. Um, let us know if there's some other topics you'd like us to get, uh, discuss or uh, any other questions that are on your mind. All right, guys, appreciate it and take care.